Welcome back to another edition of the Routine Jumper Podcast. I'm your host, Jalen Dixon, and I am just a guy with a mic that likes talking NBA basketball. I've been off for the last couple of weeks doing this and that, but the playoffs are around the corner, which means we are locked in and the content is on full go. And it starts with today's episode. So let's get right into it. We got a lot on the docket because there's only about two weeks left in the regular season before we go into the play in tournament. And then the playoffs start on April 15th, and that's when the real games begin. So with that being the case today, there's a couple of storylines that I want to focus on and touch um, touch on a few things that I think could be very indicative of where the playoffs are heading, the playoff picture in general, and maybe even kind of hint to a couple of things that I'm going to be paying attention to this offseason. So let's start off with the Dallas Mavericks. Tough year for the Dallas Mavericks. Right now, as of recording this, the Dallas Mavericks are 37-42, and 42, coming off of a very tough OT loss to the Atlanta Hawks. And this team is not playing well, man. I think I saw a stat that said they're 2-4 and four in games where Luka Doncic and uh, Kyrie Irving combined for 60-plus. This team is not able to guard well. They're sitting in 11th place, which is right outside of the play-in tournament. For context, some of the teams above them are the Thunder, the Timberwolves, the Pelicans, and even the Los Angeles Lakers. The same team that many of us thought midway through the season was dead in the water and the trade deadline didn't come soon enough for them. Here they are sitting in 7th place right now. The Lakers with a chance to win one play-in game to secure a spot into the postseason. But they get two shots at it. Such is life, man. It's so crazy to see how things flip on their head. But let's get back to the Dallas Mavericks. Dallas is in a very interesting situation. Obviously, the first thing that comes to mind is that Kyrie Irving's pending free agency is going to be the talk of the town in terms of not just what he decides to do in terms of going anywhere, but what the Dallas Mavericks are willing to offer. And if they aren't able to retain Kyrie Irving, what is the pivot? Because you traded significant draft capital as well as significant on roster assets, Dorian Finney-Smith probably being the most notable one considering how bad the defense has been for Dallas so far. You moved on from a lot of things that were going to position yourself well. A lot of people also have been bringing up more and more how much of a blunder that Jalen Brunson situation continues to look like as Jalen Brunson and the New York Knicks currently sit in fifth place in the Eastern Conference, while Dallas has not seemed to be able to get steady uh, point guard minutes that have been effective. Again, Kyrie Irving has played relatively well in the time that he's been with Dallas, but it's not been able to, it has not been able to result in wins. And obviously the start of that is it's very hard to gut your team and then try to implement chemistry with only about 20 something games to go. And with these two kind of superstars that are so ball dominant, it's probably even more difficult to gel as opposed to maybe a Kevin Durant on the Phoenix Suns, for example, who I think might be the most pliable player in the NBA or most portable player, excuse me. The Dallas Mavericks are in an interesting situation because of the fact that they're only a game back of the Thunder for that 10th spot to be able to secure a place in the play-in tournament. And the question that they have to ask themselves is, do they genuinely even want a spot in the play-in? Now, I think this would sound weird when you consider that a guy of Luka, Luka Doncic's caliber Definitely would like to be in a postseason setting. A guy of that magnitude is somebody that should be striving for the playoffs. And I think a team that has a guy of that level is not supposed to be accepting 
of a team that does not produce playoff caliber results. But we got to be real about this. When you look at the Dallas Mavericks, outside of Luka Doncic, do you see a blue chip prospect anywhere? Like genuinely ask yourself, with Luka Doncic, one of the biggest things that's been brought up about him over his career so far is that he's been so good so early that it hasn't allowed the Dallas Mavericks to truly go through the growing pains that also equate to being able to acquire more talent via the draft. And therefore, they become even more Luka-centric because their team is geared to his ability to carry them. And therefore, the Luka has no help snowball effect follows. Now, Kyrie Irving is a big domino in all of this, but there has to be a question as to what should the Dallas Mavericks want? Because another thing they obviously have to be aware of is I believe their uh, their pick is top 10 protected via New York. So they would have to fall just barely out of the top 10 in order to be able to retain their pick. But again, any version of a blue chip prospect at this point is probably a step in the right direction for a team that desperately needs to start working on building a legitimate core around Luka Doncic. So you have to ask yourself, and I think Dallas Mavericks fans will say Josh Green has played relatively well. And I agree. I think Josh Green might be their second most uh, um, important player in terms of the versatility he provides, the upside that he showed more this season as opposed to seasons in the past now that he's kind of been lit off the leash to a certain degree in terms of what his role is expanded upon, uh, expanded into. But I think that this team desperately needs to look at themselves and get an understanding that Luka Doncic can only carry them but so far. And I know that sounds very weird coming talking about a team that's coming off of a Western Conference Finals appearance. But the truth of the matter was that was not sustainable. I think a very interesting parallel to that is the Atlanta Hawks team they just beat. That Atlanta Hawks team, a two season, two seasons ago, got all the way to the Eastern Conference Finals in a very unprecedented season, and there's been a significant fall from grace. I think a similar thing can be said about the Dallas Mavericks in a similar fashion. I think that was a team that got a little bit far behind their skis and assumed, in this case, maybe not bringing back the exact same roster, but they viewed it by acquiring a guy like Kyrie Irving, for example. Oh, if we just get a guy as talented, if not more talented than Jalen Brunson, then we can duplicate the impact that he was able to have. And he was our second most important player in the postseason last year. So we're able to have a better guard than Jalen Brunson next to Luka Doncic. And that was the backbone of our team last year, outside of obviously the defense playing above its weight. Then we should be able to make another really, really uh, deep run. Instead, I think in translation, they lost the identity of themselves. They missed out on the defense by gutting their team for this acquisition of Kyrie Irving. Similar to that Atlanta Hawks team, like I mentioned beforehand. That Atlanta Hawks team this past offseason completely stepped away from their original identity, which was having legitimate 3 and D wings across the board in terms of having the flexibility with guys like DeAndre Hunter having spacing and just kind of embracing the three ball with guys like Kevin Herter. They had much more volume three-point shooting in past seasons. 
This offseason, they acquired DeJounte Murray, and they turned into much more of a mid-range heavy team, and it doesn't have the same kind of effect that their old philosophies did in the past. And therefore, by stepping away from what brought them to the dance, now they're in a precarious situation because they're no longer the team that everybody saw as getting better coming off of the conference finals. The Dallas Mavericks are in a very precarious situation because I think that Luka Doncic, especially with the especially with his most recent expressions of unhappiness, paired with the possibility of Kyrie Irving potentially leaving and already giving indications that that's something that should be uh, worried about if you're a Dallas Mavericks fan, considering he's been mentioning the idea of like basically the last couple of days, last couple of games being a, basically a shit show. And this team not having a ton of flexibility moving forward to really improve their roster from an external standpoint through acquisitions and so on and so forth. Maybe they can be able to do that if they free up the space off of Kyrie Irving if he elects not to return. But then the question is, what do you supplement Kyrie Irving's talent with, considering that this is not the most insane free agent class either? So they're in a weird spot. They're in a weird spot because there's the part of you that says they probably should be trying to push in extremely hard for a play in tournament push be, um, player play in tournament appearance because this is this this might be their best shot under these under these circumstances. Then there's the other part of you that says, well, looking down the line, their best opportunity to get better might just be bottoming out for the remainder of this season in order to give themselves the best chance to get a legitimate draft pick. Now, of course, you have to be uh, careful about that because, again, if the pick is too high, it goes to New York. Um, Or I believe if it's too – yeah, I believe if it's too high, it goes to New York. Um, But, yeah, I think that the Dallas Mavericks are in a very, very weird situation because – this is a team that took the Dallas Mavericks are a team that took a home run swing and they struck out. There's no other way to put it. I think even if they make the play in tournament, I think they are a team that people will fear um, in terms of postseason proje uh, projections. But I think they're a team that is so mentally and to a certain extent physically vulnerable right now in terms of what you can do to them on the court in terms of abusing their lack of defensive awareness and defensive versatility, along with the fact that they seem very fractured internally in terms of Luka Doncic and his connection with Kyrie Irving and the overall uh, malleability of this team in terms of everybody kind of being lockstep in the same page. This Dallas Mavericks team is extremely vulnerable right now, and that puts them in a very bad spot because with it, as a team that has so many decisions to make this offseason, and Luka Doncic being one of those kind of superstars, the generational talent kind of superstar, looking at his situation and identifying whether or not this is a team that long term he believes he can win with. This is a dude that ever since he was a teenager has played elite level basketball on a winning level. This is going to be a dude that if he sees a situation and feels as though he's not being put in a winning culture or a winning um, environment. I'm not saying that he will force his way out, but I think this is a dude that will definitely put himself in position to get what he wants, whether that's the team bowing to him in terms of the acquisitions they elect to make or 
him positioning himself to end up on a different team at the end of his contract or maybe even a year before his contract actually expires. Which isn't that far away, by the way. Um, that's something else that I think honestly gets lost in conversation when thinking about what Luka Doncic's f- future looks like. That's a generational guy that still has a couple of years on his contract, but not enough to make him a dude that's completely untradeable. We've also learned that via Kevin Durant, Paul George, and Anthony Davis. All their unique cases, nonetheless, dudes that had multiple years left on their contract and still were moved at the trade deadline just out of the mere fact that Sometimes when it comes to the superstar power, when it time when it's time to go, it's time to go. And uh, Luka Doncic definitely has the weight to be able to position himself as such. The question will be, what will the Dallas Mavericks do to alleviate themselves of that problem? But I'm going to stop rambling about the Dallas Mavericks because they are they are a team under the craziest of conundrums, and um. The way these last couple of games are definitely going to determine a lot for their offseason because if they don't make the postseason, their questions only the magnitude behind the questions that are being asked already is going to threefold in terms of just the overall impact that being sent home early will have on the, the psyche of this team coming off of last season. I'm moving over to the Eastern Conference real quick. And um, I'm gonna talk about my Chicago Bulls. I'm gonna be honest. I like what I've been I, I like I like what I've been seeing. Obviously, everybody has been pushing for the Patrick Beverly effect, which is him coming in. He's just making us a much better offensive team just out of the fact that he's he's playing the role that we've needed to be. Um, he's Patrick Beverly is playing the role for the Chicago Bulls that has been under construction all season long. We have needed a guy who can be a steady hand that sets up the offense, is able to be a above average decision maker, still a threat to score, and is a dude who can go on the other side and guard at a average to above average level on some uh, nights in terms of the matchups, maybe even elite level. The most notable thing, obviously, is that Patrick Beverly has also helped unlock Zach Levine, who I think debatably should be the um, the March uh, Eastern Conference Player of the Month. Just with the way that he's played over the last uh just last couple of weeks in general. I'll pull up the stats in a moment. But the biggest thing overall is that Zach Levine has just been able to get back to doing what he does best, which is scoring the basketball and scoring the basketball at a high clip at that. If we go in and we look at the month of March, Zach Levine averaged 28.4 points per game, 4.7 assists. Um, on top of that, the, uh, the, the efficiency splits is probably the most notable thing. 53% from the floor, um, 87% from the free throw line, 43.6% from the three point line on just over six attempts per game. He's just been much more engaged and you can tell that he's much more comfortable in this role because the part that the thing that's been hurting the Chicago Bulls the most this season is that Zach Levine isn't like some of these other shooting guards that you can put in a point guard role and expect them to be able to fill it while still doing what it is that they naturally excel at. Guys like Devin Booker who have experienced this, guys like Donovan Mitchell to an extent who have experienced this, there's a certain level of 
awareness in terms of their skill set that allows them to be able to step into that role, be able to get people actively involved and still be able to be engaged in what it is that they do best, which is fill up the box score. I think you pair the fact that Zach Levine is not necessarily that versatile in terms of his ability to run an offense with the fact that DeMar DeRozan is a guy that tends to kind of slow the ball down with his half court presence. This is a team that had no identity besides your turn, my turn, your turn, my turn, because it's basically Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan on the floor as the two only real offensive threats, and then a bunch of guys that practically live off of their defensive prowess. That's the Chicago Bulls' mindset this entire season. And that's not to say that Patrick Beverly doesn't kind of equally fit that mold, but Patrick Beverly can act as the setup man. Patrick Beverly can act as an as a high IQ point guard that's been around the league and can get guys in position and take over that lead guard role for Zach Levine that allows him to just casually slide back into his natural position and it opens the entire floor up for him. And so far this season, it is I mean, so far over the last month, it is really kind of showed dividends. Now, the Chicago Bulls are likely to make the play in tournament as the 10th seed. Kind of a scary situation because of the fact that the Chicago Bulls, similar to the Dallas Mavericks, are coming off of a very, very big season. Granted, they got taken out in the first round last year, but the regular season was one of the best times for Chicago Bulls fans that we've had in a good in a good little while. Now they go into the offseason with Nikola Vucevic as one of the bigger targets in terms of what we do with him. From a contract standpoint, obviously, Pat Bev is somebody that I think Bulls fans might really want to consider bringing back, especially with the uncertainty around Lonzo Ball, who's going back in for his third surgery. This Chicago Bulls team is in a very weird pocket because I think that Zach Levine is a guy who is very good as a potential number two, worst case scenario, number three option on a championship caliber team. And DeMar DeRozan, I think, still fits a similar mold to that. But if that is the case, what is the Chicago Bulls ceiling if Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, in the eyes of most, are considered as number twos at best in terms of a championship setting? The other thing is AK. AK has said for us to trust him. And so far, we have been very open about doing so. And I don't think that it has really produced very much for us. Nikola Vucevic has not been better than even Window Carter Jr., let alone the fact that the Orlando Magic also acquired Franz Wagner through that situation. Put on top of that, the fact that we have not really had any strong internal development from guys like Kobe White, Ayo Desumu. Um, I think the fact that Dalen Terry hasn't played as much this season is also a bit of a disservice because when he does play, he's a high energy, high effort guy that kind of helps embody the kind of culture that we need as a team that plays best when we play up to competition as opposed to playing somewhere in the middle or playing down our biggest uh our biggest thing this season has been unlike last year we have done best playing against above 500 teams last season our big thing was we couldn't buy a win off above 500 teams so we're now that team that we play best when we look up when we play up to our competition so it's kind of tough because we don't really have the circumstances around us to develop those guys. But if those guys are going to act as the core around Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan, we need to see as much of them as humanly possible. So 
This is an issue across the NBA and a handful of organizations of trying to play the double timeline, um, the double timeline focus. And I don't think that many people understand that you have to be built a certain kind of way to succeed with a timeline that's focused on championship now while also developing the core of the future. The Chicago Bulls are not a franchise with a lot of history behind it that has nothing to do with Michael Jordan in terms of saying that they are an elite level franchise builder at all. So to be trying to build for the now and for the future, I think is a mistake. Now, unfortunately, what that means is we have to look at guys like Kobe White and ask, do we want to pay for them? And look at guys like Ayo Desumu and ask, do we want to keep guys like that on the roster, considering the fact that they're not going to be able to produce at the level we need them to for us to be championship contenders if Zach Levine and DeMar DeRozan are going to be the backbone of this team's makeup? I'm proud of the Chicago Bulls because after acquiring Patrick Beverly, you can see that the fire has been reignited and that they are much more engaged and ready to play big time basketball. And I'm hoping that this team does make the postseason because I feel as though that's the kind of thing we need in order to kind of reestablish not, not only just credibility, considering last season most people would consider as a fluke at this point, but I also think it helps us reestablish what our goals are. I think if we miss the postseason, if the Chicago Bulls miss the postseason, we go into this offseason confused about whether or not we should consider ourselves as perennial playoff contenders in terms of just being able to make the postseason on a on a year to year basis, or if we're a team that needs to heavily consider going the younger route and letting some of the older dudes that we have on our roster move in hopes to acquire some much better young talent. So that's kind of the big thing with the Chicago Bulls. Chicago is another one of those teams that I think what they do in these last couple of games is going to be very huge in terms of determining what happens this offseason for them because they already have a bunch of big questions. How safe is Zach? DeMar DeRozan only has one more year, I believe, on his contract after this season. Is he a guy that we need to take a look at in terms of potentially moving off of him before he becomes a free agent again? With Nikola Vucevic, Many Bulls fans are not even on the on the bandwagon of potentially re-signing him. But if we are to re-sign him, what purpose are we looking to have that serve? Another great question by itself is, who actually is safe on the Chicago Bulls? Those are things that I think are determined based off how we close this season. And we're playing really well, seven, seven, um, seven and three in our last 10 games. It's a great way to end the season on a high note, but there's so much surrounding this team in terms of the questions that we have that I think going out, going out this season without at least making some noise in the play in tournament at bare minimum is going to put us in a very precarious situation. We as the Chicago Bulls cannot go into this postseason even if it's just a playing tournament and have a stinker like how the Charlotte Hornets for the last two seasons have had, for example, where they make it to the playing tournament and then get completely shellacked in the first round. That can't be how the Chicago Bulls go out, because if the Chicago Bulls go out bad, if let me rephrase it. If the Chicago Bulls go out sad in the playing tournament, there are going to be there are going to be players that are going to be on the chopping block. There are going to be people in the front office that are going to have heads on stakes 
And there are going to be a lot of questions around this franchise because they elected to be one of the only teams to not do anything at the at the uh, trade deadline. And I harped on this around that time. And here we about here we are back again for it again to have a real conversation about the fact that this team did not do anything at the trade deadline to give us any kind of indication of which direction we were choosing. Now, if we decide to play very well and be on this high streak for the last. 14 days or so in terms of what we've done over since acquiring Patrick Beverly, which has actually been a little bit longer than that. But nonetheless, if we have this emotional high of playing very well over the last two to three weeks, and then we go out sad in the play-in tournament, that is going to reestablish the question of why the hell did the Chicago Bulls not do anything at the trade deadline when this was one of the most active trade markets that we've had in a selling market where a lot of big names ended up moving around and going to teams, not even just for hefty trade packages, but for trade packages that are going to have very significant influence on just this offseason alone, considering the fact that this free agent class isn't that crazy. So the assets that were acquired at this trade deadline are going to be that much more valuable because they are probably going to be utilized to facilitate any kind of real movement this offseason. The stars are going to do most of the moving via trade because there are not a ton of stars that are in this free agent market. So for the Bulls to not be engaged in any of that, I understand we're a little bit low in terms of draft capital right now, but we have young talent and we also have um, the safety net of now. I think we're more than likely to acquire some kind of um, exception on the on the behalf of Lonzo Ball's long term injury. So there's a lot of flexibility there for us this offseason to maybe rectify that. But a lot of Bulls fans are going to look at the lack of movement at the trade deadline and what the way we end this season and the correlation between those two is going to be very heavy if the way that things end are not in a manner that we can positively draw from. So, man, my Chicago Bulls, bro. One of the most stressful teams in the NBA, one of the most stressful franchises to be a fan of. And this season has been an absolute roller coaster ride. We are definitely, we I don't want to say, mm, I don't want to say definitely, but there is a high likelihood that we have secure, secured our spot in the play-in tournament. We're four games ahead of the Washington Wizards with not too many games left to go. If we were to go into the play-in tournament as of right now, we would have to beat the Toronto Raptors who have already secured their play-in tournament spot. We'd have to beat them in the first round. That is something that we had the safety net of doing because we had a pretty decent seri uh, season series against them. That's also pretty interesting because shout out to my other uh, co-host for the Hitcher Free Throws podcast uh, TV from TV on Basketball. He is a Toronto Raptors fan. So that will be a very interesting first round matchup for the play-in tournament uh, for us two to discuss. But um. Yeah, man, the Chicago Bulls are a interesting squad because similar to a handful of the teams that I'm going to end up talking about on this episode, um, which we have a few more left, not too many, but there's a few more that I want to hit on. There's a ton of questions going into this offseason, and it has a lot to do with the way that they made moves, or I guess in our case, did not make moves and its influence on the way this season ends and how we go into this offseason in terms of what the direction looks like.
So next, I'm going to tackle two teams at the same time. And it's because I oddly think that the contrasting and comparison between these two teams is eerily similar to the point that it makes it very odd that it can happen uh, simultaneously in the same season. And that is the comparison between the Portland Trailblazers and the Washington Wizards. Both of these teams are in very similar situations, which puts them in a very interesting spot when you talk about what it is that their offseason is supposed to look like. Stop me if you've heard this story before. NBA franchise has potentially one of their better players in franchise history attached to the hip not only via their commitment to the squad, but also via the commitment financially from a contract standpoint that now leads them to being a mediocre team that is aiming for the play-in tournament with a ceiling of the eighth seed while having having an expensive guard surrounded by middle-of-the-pack talent with a lack of flexibility to be able to truly upgrade their roster due to their financial foibles. Sounds like the Portland Trailblazers and the Washington Wizards to me. I mean, let's take a look at it. And um, I'll pull up their cap sheet as we as I go through this. But the Portland Trailblazers are a team attached to the hip with potentially franchise great. If you already view them as franchise great, I would I'll, I would completely agree with you. Maybe the greatest in their in their franchise history, even being Damian Lillard, attached. To the hip, not only via his commitment to the franchise, but oh, how about this? $42 million this season owed. $45 million owed to him next season. $48 million owed to him in 2024-2025. million owed to him in 2025-2026. He'll be 36 years old, by the way. And then in 26-27, he will be owed sixty. Three million dollars in his age 37 season. Let me repeat that for you guys. Damian Lillard will be owed 63.2 million dollars in his age 37 season in 26-27. If that's not financially heaved up, I don't know what is. Goodness gracious. That is a, that is one contract that is going to be hard to trade for because the boy is the boy is paid. But let's also talk about the lack of flexibility because of him being paid so much. They're going into this offseason with their only real acquisition at the top of their list, probably being retaining Jeremy Grant, who is not who did not agree to an extension earlier on this season when he was offered. I believe it was four years, uh, 120 or something around there. And. They have a handful of guys that are going to be coming off the books. Cam Reddish, Matisse Thibault, Justice Winslow, Drew Eubanks, Ryan Archie Diacono. Like I mentioned beforehand, Jeremy Grant as well. But they're not going to have a ton of money to make a lot of acquisitions. And again, you hate to do this, but again, they're a team that has fallen into the trap of trying to do the double timeline, um, the double timeline effect. Their oldest players are Damian Lillard at 32, Jeremy Grant if retained at age 30, I'm mean, age 29, excuse me, and then Yusuf Nurkic at 
28. Outside of them, this team is extremely young. Even with them included, I believe they're like the seventh youngest team in the entire NBA. They're in that pocket with teams like the Houston Rockets, the OKC Thunder, the Orlando Magic. They're a part of that top seven in terms of youngest teams in the NBA. And the thing that all of those teams have in common outside of maybe the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Memphis Grizzlies is that they're all in the Victor Wembanyama sweepstakes. They're all teams that are vying for position this late in the year for a chance to get a generational talent in Victor Wembanyama because they are just that bad. And Portland is also in that lane, but they're doing it under circumstances that are not similar to these other teams. No one else in those other teams outside of, again, like I mentioned, the Oklahoma City Thunder and the Memphis Grizzlies have themselves a player of the caliber of Damian Lillard on their roster. When you have a Damian Lillard level player who should be an all NBA guard this season, by the way, should be operative word should. When you have a guy of that caliber on your team, you should not be looking at the outside. Of, uh, out, you should not be on the outside looking in of the playoffs. Same thing can be associated with the Dallas Mavericks that we talked about earlier. Even harder, you cannot be this expensive of a team that says, that claims. Let me make sure I phrase this properly. As the Portland Trailblazers, you cannot be a franchise that says you want to build a contending team around Damian Lillard and be the same front office that also is not willing to go into the luxury tax in order to improve your squad. You cannot have Damian Lillard, Yusuf Nurkic, Jeremy Grant, and a bunch of players who are basically 26 and younger on your roster without the ability to pay the or without the willingness, excuse me, to pay the luxury tax and tell me that you believe you are giving Damian Lillard the best chance to win a championship as a Portland Trailblazer. You're not telling the truth. You're not telling the truth. You cannot tell me. You cannot tell a Portland Trailblazers fan. You cannot tell an NBA fan of any of any walk of life that around Damian Lillard, you are going to have one of the youngest teams in basketball and claim that you are positioning yourself to put the best potential squad around Damian Lillard to make a run at a championship. There's no way you can affiliate those two things. The most recent trade of Josh Hart for a first round pick, the most recent trade of draft assets in order to acquire guys like Cam Reddish and Matisse Thibel don't indicate it. All of the moves that have happened as of late indicate that you are a team trying to get younger. So as many people, including ESPN, Zach Lowe, have mentioned, if this team, if this franchise is committed to the idea of building a legitimate contender around, around Damian Lillard, they are going to have to come, with, come to grips with the idea that they are going to potentially have to shop an Anthony Simons, shop a Shaden Sharp, shop a Nasir Little or a Kevin Knox or a... Cam Reddish and Matisse Thibault, if they're able to re uh, able to retain those guys, they are going to have to look at the young talent that they have stockpiled on this roster and they are going to have to sell high because that is the only way that they are going to be able to make the kind of acquisitions they need to build a contender around Damian Lillard 
that when you look at them, not just on paper, but in terms of fluidity on the floor, they have a legitimate chance. Because I think I I don't think this has been said much, but I think a lot of NBA fans believe it. I don't think that when you look at the rosters that have been put around Damian Lillard, basically since the departure of LaMarcus Aldridge, that we can genuinely say that the Portland Trailblazers have positioned themselves to have a real championship caliber team around Damian Lillard. I know people will point to the Western Conference Finals trip they had a few seasons ago, but none of us believe that they were a Western Conference Finals caliber team. Same thing with, again, I, I hate to keep bringing them up, but the Atlanta Hawks of a few seasons ago. There's a difference between being built like a championship caliber team and simply, simply having a legitimately strong postseason run. One team, one version of the team is a team that you look at on paper and you look at their production on the floor and you say that is a playoff team that can make some noise. The other is a team that overachieves and positions themselves to go into the offseason believing that they are much better than they actually are. The Portland Trailblazers are the latter at the moment. They are a team that believes they are much better than they actually are because they feel as though Damian Lillard is that good, and they feel that with the kind of upside they have across the board with all the young talent that they have, that if any of the guys they've acquired as of late pop, they will jump back into being contenders again. And the truth is, you're wasting some of uh, wasting some of Damian Lillard's prime, and you're only putting yourself in a position to bank on something that is not guaranteed. Anthony Simons is good. I'm very high on Shaden Sharp, but I think the developmental process is going to take some time, and I don't know if Damian Lillard and the Portland Trailblazers have that time in terms of the championship window available to them. The flip side is the Washington Wizards, who I mentioned beforehand. Again, Bradley Beal, another guy who is tied to the hip of their franchise. One of the guys that I think you could honestly make an argument for as being one of the better players in their franchise history. I don't think he's considered their best player by any means, but he's definitely a guy who is up there in terms of overall uh, talent level for the for the players that have come through Washington. Not nearly as old as Damian Lillard, but 29 years old nonetheless. 43.2 million owed to him this season. 46.7 million next season. 50.2 million in 2024-25. 53.6 million in 2025-26. And then $57.1 million owed to Bradley Beal in the year 2026-2027. Insane funds and the caveat Bradley Beal has his no trade clause. This is a team that is extremely tied to the hip of Bradley Beal, just off of the fact that he has all of the financial structural power, along with the fact that that much money is going to be very hard to move off of as he continues to age, especially with his recent history of not being able to stay on the floor due to injuries. And Damian Lillard arguably has a similar, has a similar, um, he has a similar set of circumstances in terms of what you can argue is um, going to hurt his overall trade capital as it is. But they are a team that has some huge questions this offseason. 
Christoph Porzingis played very well this season. Underrated all-star caliber season. They're going to have to pay him. Kyle Kuzma, another guy who played relatively well this season, might have to potentially pay him. If you pay Christos Porzingis and Kyle Kuzma as the Washington Wizards, you have no more financial flexibility to do anything else this season, this offseason. So basically, they will be stuck with the exact same team that they trotted out this year. Now, Washington Wizards fans who definitely look at the season from a more positive light will say Christoph Porzingis had one of the best years of his life. Uh, excuse me. Let me, let me rephrase this. Washington Wizards fans will argue that with Christoph Porzingis having one of the best seasons of his career, Kyle Kuzma playing at a very high level, Bradley Beal playing much better as a team concept guy this year as opposed to years uh, past, focusing more so on the idea of being a lead scoring threat. And now he's having a lot more playmaking usage, which is getting other guys involved. The only thing that this Washington Wizards team needs next in order for them to get back into playoff contention is for all of these guys to be healthy at the same time. These guys have not really played together very often this season because it's kind of been a tit for tat of guys missing games throughout the year. So most Wizards fans that are highly optimistic about this season will say, well, my guys were not playing together um, for significant stints of this season. If they are able to uh, get some more continuity, then they'll be a bigger threat. But the thing is, how much better actually are they? You know, I've been really thinking about this for a little while. How much better can the Washington Wizards actually be? Even last season, the Washington Wizards had one of the hotter starts in the NBA, similar to the uh, Chicago Bulls. And it took a couple of games. It took until about the um, All-Star break even. But. By the second half of the season, a lot of the gimmicks, a lot of the overachieving, a lot of the uh, elite defense that people were kind of questioning for a lot of that season, everything started to come back to earth. And we saw the real version of what the Washington Wizards look like when teams are able to kind of catch up to everything that's going on with them. And I think that even though Christoph Porzingis had, an, uh, had a an elite level year, is there another gear to Christoph Porzingis that we are not aware of that he's able to reach? I think if he can get back to the defensive prowess he had once upon a time playing with the New York Knicks, that's probably the next level Christoph Porzingis that could really maybe push the Wizards forward. But if he can't, if he can't reclaim that, even if Christoph Porzingis is just the guy that he was this season over again, does it really push them any further? Um, I'm not, I'm not really sure. Like DeLon Wright has had to start for this team because Monte Morris has not played well. DeLon Wright is not a starter in the NBA anymore. Like legitimately, it's no disrespect to DeLon Wright, but he has served best in these last couple of seasons coming off the bench, playing a steady hand slash microwave score type for teams over the last couple of seasons. And he has thrived in that role. It's a lot of interesting circumstances to be put together for the Washington Wizards and them being pigeonholed puts them in a very tough spot. And you look at it, they also haven't drafted to position themselves to have any kind of upward mobility just within the, the last couple of years. 
Corey Kispert, who I think has played relatively well, he's a guy who has not necessarily been able to really blossom. He's had a great year, all things considered, but he hasn't been able to really blossom because he's been in a rotation with Denny Avdia uh, before moving off from him, Rui Hachimura, also Kyle Kuzma. These are all guys that do not have the kind of scalability to move up and down a lineup. These are all guys. I think maybe Kyle Kuzma is the most scalable of this group, but even of who's left, Denny Avdia and Corey Kispert are strictly small fours. They are strictly threes. These are not guys that you feel comfortable scaling them down to the four in order to be able to create some more flexibility within the roster. These are guys that serve best as threes on the roster, and that puts them in a pigeonhole because it puts both of their developmental tracks not on hold, but it puts them at a disadvantage because you're not able to see the maximizations of their skill sets because they both are splitting time with each other. And they've done this year over they've done this year over year. Like I said, the last three drafts have legitimately been Rui Hachimura, Denny Avdia, then Corey Kispert. You've been tackling this small forward slash power forward position. Again, like I mentioned, more so small forward position, draft after draft, and that doesn't even include the acquisition of Kyle Kuzma, who also fits into that same mode. I, I would say, like I said before, I, I feel as though Kyle Kuzma is more scalable than those other guys, but he serves best as a three. So you have a log jam at the three position with your point guard position being your weakest spot on the roster. Bradley Beal probably being your best solution to that, but then not having a secondary guy as a shooting guard to fill next to him because the only real shooting guards on the roster are, <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of where things get unfortunate as well because Johnny Davis has not played very well this season. I don't think Monty, I don't think Monte Morris is a natural two. I think DeLon Wright is good, but I don't think he's good as a starting shooting guard. I like Anthony Gill. But I don't know if he should be starting. So their team is not optimized. Their team is not optimized to be successful over an over an 82 game regular season. So the weird dichotomy between these two teams being the Portland Trailblazers and the and the Washington Wizards is that they're both two teams that have positioned themselves to kind of hover above that line of mediocrity where they're always going to be just good enough to make you think that if they at least make the play in tournament, hey, anything can happen. But they're always going to be a team that really would serve themselves better bottoming out, which they technically cannot afford to do when you have two expensive guards in Damian Lillard and Bradley Beal as the pillars of your team. And they're both guys that are not young by any stretch in terms of their longevity career-wise beyond the next couple of seasons. And them becoming much more expensive is a tackle on top of that that makes it even more urgent for them to be competitive now as opposed to later. Yet they have not positioned themselves to be able from season to season to fluidly improve their roster to be as competitive as they probably need to be around guys of those calibers. And I think Damian, I think Damian Lillard is significantly better, better than Bradley Beal, which is actually maybe even more of an indictment on the Washington Wizards for pigeonholing themselves so much with Bradley Beal, not just off the contract, but again, the no trade clause as well. Because I think we would make the argument, and I'll even pose the question to the comment section, if anybody deserves a no-trade clause, who do you think is more deserving of it, Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal? 
To me, I feel like it's an easy answer to say that Damian Lillard is more deserving of it. And I think that's even more interesting when you look at the fact that Damian Lillard pigeonholes Portland with the fact that he gets all the way up to $63 million while being an older player out of the two, while Bradley Beal goes up to $57 million. But the trade, uh, the trade concept of him having the no trade clause makes him equally, if not harder, to do anything with from a roster construction standpoint in terms of being able to improve anytime soon. Man, oh man. This is a season. See, this is the scary thing about parody. This is the scary thing about parody in the NBA is that when teams do not perform to their optimal level, they are forced to truly look themselves in the mirror and identify the things that are hurting them on a year to year basis. Because when there is a lack of parity, you are able to wash away or cover up the things that are plaguing your team the most because sometimes the talent is able to overcome the issues. But in seasons like this, where the parity is at an all time high, you are forced to then face those issues because your talent is only but so good in comparison to the league around you. And then now it is forcing teams like the Dallas Mavericks to realize Luka Doncic can't backpack you to a championship. It's forcing teams like the like the like the Dame led Portland Trailblazers to understand that or to hopefully understand that you have to pick a timeline. For the Washington Wizards, they have to look at themselves and ask, is there a way for us to be able to create flexibility to get better, even if that involves bottoming out? Is there a legitimate way that we can get higher than the ninth overall pick in the NBA draft every year? Parity. I think I've said this on an earlier episode. It might have even been one of the first episodes I recorded for the Routine Jumper podcast. Parity creates clarity in the NBA. Because parity is one of those things that as much as it can create false hope for the teams that think that they are much better than they are, it's things like this. It's times like this where we're coming down to the final weeks of the, of, of the regular season where the reality now sets in that you are not as good as you thought you were because the league is so compact. That the teams who are as good as they are supposed to be are exactly where they should be. And the teams that are not as good as they anticipated when the year started, or maybe like in the Dallas Mavericks case, where they thought they would be post-trade uh, deadline with Kyrie Irving, that you're really not as good as you projected. And now it's back to the drawing board. Parity creates clarity because it creates a situation four teams in front offices to realize that the league is at a standstill in terms of where everybody ranks on the hierarchy because there we we are in a league now where you can make an argument for about 7 to 8 teams to be i would say decent if not legitimate title contenders Prior to this season, I don't think we've had that very frequently, and that goes to show you how long some of these franchises have been able to get away with just being 
average, just being mediocre enough to make the postseason or make a run in the postseason off unprecedented circumstances. And now that the league is compact, now that the competitiveness across the board leaks down probably between the number one team in the NBA, probably all the way down to about the 25th or 26th best team in the league. Now, especially with the implementation of the playing tournament, if you are a part of your, if you are a part of those five bottom teams in your respective conference, you now have to truly reevaluate your situation because with the playing tournament implemented, there are two more spots to be able to potentially make the postseason. And if you're now not able to crack the postseason, even under those circumstances, then you're probably not that good. You're probably not that good. That's the reality. The combination of parity and the play-in tournament has created an urgency where you are officially only as good as where you're seated. And sometimes I feel like that's a little bit misleading because I don't think that Denver is the most dangerous team in the Western Conference. I think it's Phoenix. But I think that they've been so good during the regular season that we at least consider them as somewhat of a title contender off the mere fact that they have an MVP candidate with a very strong core around him. The Dallas Mavericks have an MVP candidate. But do they have a strong core around him? No. The Portland Trailblazers have an MVP candidate, but do they have a strong core around him? No. From a team from a team building standpoint, the league is now, I believe the league is now in the best version of itself that it's been in years. And I think part of it is because the confusion around who is who in this league has also forced people to have to look at the landscape of the league from top all the way to the bottom and consider what are our expectations before the season started? Where did they progress since those expectations? Where they are now? And then calculate the actuality of where that team truly should be considered amongst the rest of the uh, amongst the rest of the NBA it puts people in a position to really think about roster building think about the impact of having an NBA superstar on your team the impact of building in favor of that superstar's skill set and now even with the TV money deal even with the TV deal thing kicking in uh, a season from now I believe it maybe probably kicks in like two seasons from now. So the contract situations for a lot of these hefty contracts will at least look a little bit more respectable with more money fluid. You also throw in the fact that a lot of superstars have been re-signing with their teams and a lot of the player movement has been made via uh, trades now. That financial flexibility and internal capital whether that be draft capital, young assets, um, older, more um, portable assets in terms of role players that can fit in different schemes. 
These are all things that become much more important than just who has the best superstar. Because I think that's where we've been the last couple of years. I think the last couple of years, we've went into postseason asking ourselves, who has the best player? Because whoever has the best player has the best chance to make the championship because at the end of the day, talent is an easy way in the postseason to outlast another team in a seven-game series. But I think seasons like this with this kind of parity force you to look much more, much deeper than just the name value of who has the best talent on the floor and more so how does that talent fit? How does that talent defend? How does that talent play offensively? Do they thrive in a half-court setting? Do they thrive best in terms of playing up-tempo? If they are slowed down, who do they have as the go-to guy in order to bring them home? Who is their most important role player in terms of what could be much needed from, from, from a bench or even from just a secondary guy past the All-Star if an All-Star is having a rough night or having a rough series? We saw that last season with the Golden State Warriors. Steph Curry was probably one of the best. He was probably the best, if not one of the best players in every series he went into. I think you can make the argument that he was the best player in every series outside of maybe the one against the Dallas Mavericks where it was a toss up between him and Luka Doncic. You know what the separator was? The fact that Andrew Wiggins stepped up as the second best and second most important player for the Golden State Warriors on that entire postseason run. And in in unprecedented circumstances, Andrew Wiggins became one of the best 3 and D wings in the league on the biggest stage. Andrew Wiggins' name was not being called in that kind of light prior to the postseason. But guess what? Guys like Andrew Wiggins are are, are going to be much more important in postseasons to come. Because we're getting to the point where roster flexibility, roster portability, roster scalability... That's going to be the difference between winning a championship and losing a championship. That's going to be the difference. Is if you have an elite level talent, you've already crossed off the first box. But where are your others at? How do you acquire those others that fit what you're trying to do while also knowing that they can step up in the big moments to be able to serve the purpose that they need to but then maybe even potentially play above that. Um, Man, the NBA is in such an interesting spot, man, because I think so many teams have so many questions they have to ask themselves now, considering the fact that now I think this is just the new NBA, parity-wise. And I think that means that the front offices that have gotten away with not putting quality level talent on the floor on a night-to-night basis, not just in terms of the overall talent player to player, but also in terms of the actual production on the floor in terms of seeing a very viable basketball team on a night-to-night basis, it becomes that much more important. And when you put mediocrity out on the floor, it's much more noticeable than before. going to be an interesting offseason but it's going to be an even more interesting postseason as well guys this is where i'm going to close out the episode really appreciate you guys for listening remember to check out the routine jumper podcast on all platforms including spotify apple Podcasts, and wherever else you stream your podcast services also 
I am going to be working on a lot more content behind the scenes. I'm going to try my best to push more of this podcasting on a week to week basis because I've missed a lot of time and there's a lot of potential conversations to have. So be on the lookout for that. Remember to check out the Hitcher Free Throws podcast with TV on Basketball and me. We have been very consistent on a week to week basis, having some big time NBA conversations, and we plan on doing even more when the postseason comes. So remember to check out the Hitcher Free Throws podcast as well on all streaming platforms as well as YouTube, TikTok, and Instagram. Yeah, we are pushing content heavy and we are enjoying every second of it. We hope that you you guys like, comment, and subscribe to enjoy that content as well. But with that being the case, guys, stay on top of the NBA. we got a lot going on. I am really enjoying myself. Until next time, I'll see you later. Peace.